The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, again, good morning. Today we are pulling an audible. In light of our closing on the building, we've been making our way through the taught parables of Jesus. And today we're actually going to be looking at what's called a living parable of Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus's heart and Jesus's highest priority. So with that preamble, would you bow your heads with me as I begin with a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts 
be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin by asking everyone this question. What matters most in life? What matters most in your life? If you follow news from around the world, last week you likely came across the following incredible true story out of Nepal. As captured by Reuters News, a Malaysian climber narrowly survived a Nepali Sherpa guide, excuse me, a Malaysian climber narrowly survived after a Nepali Sherpa guide hauled him down from below the summit of Mount Everest. In a very rare high altitude rescue, a government official said on Wednesday, May 31st, Gelji Sherpa, 30, was guiding a Chinese client to the 8,849 meter Everest summit, that is 29,032 foot summit, on May 18th of this year when he saw a climber clinging to a rope and shivering from extreme cold in the area known as the death zone, where temperatures can dip to minus 30 degrees Celsius, that is minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit or lower. In response to what he saw, and in an act of utter selflessness, Gelji made the decision to haul the climber, who was in need, 1,900 feet down from the balcony area of the South Coal of Everest over a period of approximately six hours, where Nima Tahi Sherpa, another guide, joined the rescue. Quote, we wrapped the climber in a sleeping bag, dragged him on the snow and carried him in turns on our backs to camp number three. A helicopter using a long line then lifted the man from that spot, 23,500 feet above sea level to the base camp. Friends, here are a couple pictures of that rescue. Notice how Gelji and his friend literally carried the man on their backs down the mountain. It's almost impossible to rescue climbers at that altitude, a Nepali's Department of Tourism official told Reuters. It's also a very rare operation. And just to add further color to this story, Gelji, the primary rescuer, not only had to risk his life for this rescue, but he also had to convince his paying client that saving a life is more important than reaching the famed summit of Everest. In other words, he had to risk his career. He had to risk it all. It's quite the sacrifice, is it not? All for the sake of another bringing this back into the room today, what's most important in life? Or what's most important in your life today? As we turn our attention to John 21, our passage this morning, we're gonna see what really matters to Jesus. For some of us, the conclusion we see today may be a reminder, reminding us of what matters most to Jesus. For others of us, it may come as a surprise as we've never perhaps seen 
Jesus' heart and calling so clearly. For all here today, this is our hope this morning, that we'll leave this place informed, inspired, and truly committed to what matters most to Jesus. We'll leave this place informed, inspired, and truly committed to what matters most to Jesus. And with that introduction, here's the big idea we're going to unpack from John 21 this morning. If our love for Jesus is undeniable, our love for the church will be unmistakable. If our love for Jesus is undeniable, our love for the church will be unmistakable. And we're going to break this down via two points. Point one, see the relentless love of Jesus. And point two, see the relentless call of Jesus. So let's dive in to God's word together. Point one, see the relentless love of Jesus. As Christina read, beginning with verse one, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus or the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you. Let me just stop and say, these are good men right out of the gate, right? They're going fishing, guys. They're going fishing, they told him. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, he called. You don't have any fish, do you? No. Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them. You'll find some. And so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he'd taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. So Lacey, I know what you're thinking. Barrett, I know what you're wondering. Did Peter do a cannonball or dive into the water that day? Right? Did he cannonball or dive into the water? It's kind of fun to think about, right? Peter, all sweaty, putting on his clothes, jumping in, reckless abandon. And let me ask, who says swimming 100 yards isn't far? Did you catch that? What's wrong with you, John? Do you think we're Olympians? So what's going on here, we need to ask? What's going on in John 21? Well, first, our story comes immediately after the resurrection of Jesus. And on a more serious note, here's what this would have meant. The last couple of weeks for the disciples would have been grueling. They would have watched as their Messiah suffered a horrific death, and then they would have been stunned as he reappeared to them and others multiple times in wondrous fashion. For instance, post-resurrection, Jesus had met with none other than Mary Magdalene, restoring her intimately by name. You remember that story? We looked at it about a month ago. Then he walked mysteriously with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, doing what? Unpacking the scriptures of old so it made sense to them. Furthermore, Jesus had even taken Thomas, yes, doubting Thomas Blaze, the one who 
who didn't believe this could be happening. And Jesus said, touch the very nail marks in my hands and look at the wound in my side so as to reassure the man, the young man of his faith. So the question is, why do we have John 21? Why do we have this story? Well, here's why. Like us, all of the disciples needed to be reminded of Jesus' love. And they needed to be reminded of his highest priority, his call on their lives. So first, his love. The love of Jesus, Beth, is relentless. Our passage today hyper-focuses on one guy, one dude. And what's his name? Peter. For those who know the scriptures, Peter was the boldest, often the loudest, and through self-declaration, considered himself the bravest of all of Jesus' followers. For example, when Jesus had asked his inner circle, who do the crowd say I am? Matthew 16, Peter replied, how, Kathy? You're the Messiah. Christ, the son of the living God. Exactly. You might say this was good, Peter. He declared that Jesus is the son of the living God. Next, do you remember what Peter had proclaimed the night of Jesus' betrayal, John 13? Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. Note that he didn't say, we'll lay down our lives for you. I'll do it. You might call this arrogant Peter. In which of the disciples made the decision to cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, the night Jesus was arrested? John 18. Again, Peter. You might say this was impulsive or even violent Peter. This was Peter. Still beyond all these encounters, it's clear that Peter's greatest blunder, his greatest failure was when he denied Jesus three times right before the crucifixion. Do you remember that? He did. Again, this is recorded in John 18. And such had left Peter utterly defeated. Totally defeated. That's the backdrop of today's passage. Now, fast forward to the encounter today. And Jesus and the disciples had returned some 80 miles. You know, we read things like, yeah, they're back at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. We just gloss over that. It was 80 miles away from Jerusalem. How they got there, most likely walked. So they're back in their home kind of territory, the Sea of Galilee, uh, from their time in Jerusalem. And, and what do they do? They go fishing. They go back to what's familiar. So that's a little bit of the context. Now listen, while we don't know who or what was on Peter's mind that night or his morning broke, here's what we do know. There was one person on the shore who clearly had Peter and the other disciples in his heart, in his mind on that morning. And who was that? Jesus. Jesus. This is important. Despite all the arrogance, all of the boasting, all of the failure, Jesus had not forgotten about Peter, his Peter. No, he'd not forgotten about Peter and he'd not canceled Peter. 
No, Jesus in his love had come for Peter and the other guys. And he was standing right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, right on the shores of Peter's heart. You see, the love of Jesus is relentless. It's relentless, Kenna. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've left undone, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've left unsaid, no matter who you are and no matter who you're not this morning, Jesus loves you. His love is relentless and he does not abandon you. Jesus' love not only covers your sins, but it comes for you in the night to the very shores of your heart. His love is relentless. Point one, see the relentless love of Jesus. And then point two, see the relentless call of Jesus. Who in here has seen the movie Seabiscuit? Yeah. Half of the room was not born when it came out. But that's okay. You can go, this is homework, go watch Seabiscuit. There's this scene where an old horse trainer in the movie named Tom Smith is talking to a wealthy businessman about a small, temperamental, seemingly unmanageable horse named Seabiscuit, who he believes has the makings of greatness. And listen, despite the Colts' checkered past and virtually no one believing in it, the trainer goes on to share the following quote with the gentleman. Every good, excuse me, every horse is good for something. He could be a cart horse or a lead pony and he's still nice to look at. You know, you don't throw a whole life away just because he's banged up a little bit. And you know what? Tom's word would, words would prove to be correct as the movie, movie goes and as history tells us, that little horse Seabiscuit would go on to have epic success in the 1930s. In fact, it would become a symbol of hope for our whole nation during the Great Depression. Did you know that? You don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little bit. Continuing in our passage, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laying on it and bread. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Friends, there's something holy, almost sacramental about a fire, isn't there? Maybe it's because we feel warmth next to a fire or because it cultivates friendships and conversations or maybe it's because God opens our hearts and our minds around the fire to his grace. Have any of you had a divine encounter around a fire before? Stick with me. Peter and the disciples, as they circle around with Jesus around that fire, they experience a divine encounter. Without going into all the exegetical details in our passage today, I want us to look at this one. Can any of you recall the last time Peter 
had been around a fire. The last time Peter had been around a fire, specifically a charcoal fire, that was the very night he had denied Jesus three times. It was in the courtyard of the high priest. Around the fire, Jesus was denied three times by Peter. Thus, this setting in John 21 was no accident. It was no accident. You don't throw a whole life away just because he's banged up a little bit. That's gospel truth right there, friends. Reflecting on this moment, Bishop N.T. Wright has this to say. Think back to the smell of that fire wafting through the chilly April air. Think of Peter going out in shame, angry with himself, knowing that, that Jesus knew, knowing that the beloved disciple knew, knowing that God knew, and hearing the next day what had happened to Jesus. Not even the resurrection itself could wave a magic wand and get rid of that memory. Nothing could except revisiting it and bathing it in God's own healing. Nothing could except revisiting it and bathing it in God's own healing. And that's precisely why Jesus had come for Peter and brought him back to a fire. Peter needed Jesus's healing, as do some of you today. He needed it. He, that's a new word. He needed Jesus's forgiveness, as some of you do today. He needed Jesus's restoration, as some of you need it today. He needed that grace in his life. And I know if I was Peter sitting at the shore that day, my face would have been soaked with tears. Tears of gratitude, tears of hope, tears of joy. And yet, friends, there's more. There's more here, and we can't miss it. Jesus didn't just bring Peter back to the fire to heal him. He actually brought Peter back to the fire to also recommission him. To call him to move forward in his mission that he'd given him in Luke chapter 5. Very similar encounter. Jesus didn't said, say, excuse me, he didn't say, hey, I forgive you and I love you. And then Dave, he didn't give him some big bear hug. Hey, bro, I let you, we're good, we're good. No, there's more. Listen. He said something to this effect. I forgive you. I love you, Peter. Now I've got a job for you. I've got a job for all of you. He says to his disciples, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. A third time, feed my sheep. If you love me, this will be the highest priority of your lives. Feed my sheep. Peter, even if it costs you everything, feed my sheep. In other words, for Jesus, loving the church, caring for the church, providing for the church, and protecting the church is to be the number one priority and mark of the Christian. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And three times in various forms, Jesus then says, feed my sheep. Thus, point two, see the relentless call of Jesus. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. Now to land this message, I could throw out a bunch of bullet points around applications, but I'm not going to do that. I want us to revisit our opening illustration. That Sherpa, Gelsha, 
risked everything to help the climber in need. We saw pictures of the man literally carrying the other man down the mountain. And that climber who was struggling is alive today because of the sacrificial and servant-hearted nature of that Sherpa. Now, bringing this into the here and now, using our imaginations, let me ask, what if we cared for the church like that? What if we cared for our church like that? Young people included. What if we saw ourselves as guides, caregivers, and providers of God's family, his bride, the church? Better yet, what if Jesus wants us to join him in feeling the pain and the joy of surrendering our own personal ambition and comfort for the sake of another? And what if we dared to see ourselves as those tapped by Jesus to carry others in this community on our backs in times of need? Three times, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It starts with the relentless love of Jesus. And then he said to Peter three times, feed my sheep. Relentless love, relentless call for all the followers of Jesus. What's most important to Jesus this morning? The love, the care for, and the provision of his church, his sheep, his bride. If our love for Jesus is undeniable, our love for the church will be unmistakable. So here's the charge. Dare to let Jesus, whoever you are this morning, come to the very shores of your heart with his relentless love. Let him come next to you, whatever you walked in with today, whoever you are or are not. Let him come and cleanse you and heal you. And then let him commission you no matter the cost, to heed his call where he says, feed my sheep. Jack, feed my sheep. Laura, feed my sheep. Dr. Troy, feed my sheep. What if we dared to do that together? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love that sent your son to give his all for us. Some of us need your forgiveness and healing. Here we are, like Peter, needing your redemption. You're the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. Cleanse us and heal us. Restore us relationally with you. And God, for everyone who calls himself a Christian in this place today, may we heed the call of Jesus to feed his sheep no matter the cost. May this burn in our hearts and in our lives and may we do this corporately in unity to bring honor and glory to you, which is for you alone, God. For our good and this glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.